0: think it'll be exploration just for the sake of exploration my name is Matthew Kroll and your
1: boys making models out of balsa wood you're not in control of anything my name is Shahir Dowd
0: and this is the only podcast about movies specifically the film first man give me the first man right like no other well, what do you mean
1: like no first woman could we have a first woman why not and, <laughs> and um, we do this whole thing come on people yeah <laughs>
0: Where was that going? I don't know. I, I lost the train halfway. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, I'm fully derailed. Uh, should we talk about something else?
1: <laughs> uh, sure. Why not? Hey, this is an exciting. This is an exciting one because I I just want to say off the bat, this is a movie to go see in IMAX. But that was not your experience,
0: right? I mean, I didn't see it in IMAX. No. no.
1: Would you have wanted to see it in IMAX now, having seen it? Um.
0: Sure. Right. It wasn't shot in IMAX, was it? It was. Oh. There were then, portions of the film shot in IMAX. I'll go see any movie that's shot in IMAX in right. IMAX. But there was nothing... Look, uh, when we'll, we'll get into it. I thought it looked stunning, Um, mm-hmm. but I don't know... I, you know what, you know what's interesting about it. So much of it is claustrophobic. Yeah, um, that isn't something I would, I would instantly think IMAX. You, uh,
1: I think, have missed out on a unique part of this film uh, that takes place in. It's a specific sequence that takes place in IMAX. Ah, um, so is I think, it the moon? It might very well be, <laughs> uh, but we will talk about that as we get into the podcast. Uh, this is Damien Chazelle's first man of film that I've been excited to see because, uh, you know, our favorite director of La La. And Whiplash mm. um, is in uh, is at the helm. Is that and,
0: in the driver's seat of and, Apollo Eleven and all the ones before it?
1: Yeah, exactly. And just a couple of things to note that that really depressed me this week is uh, how old do you think Neil Armstrong was when he w- when he walked on the moon? I don't know. Thirty eight. Yeah, that makes sense. He was 38 years old. I I, I find that incredibly depressing from the point of view of, like, the dude was a father of three, engineer, accomplished space pilot, and the first man to walk on the moon at the age of 38. But you know
0: what? Look, I don't like comparing myself to other people that did, like, amazing things by a specific age or had, like, life goals. Because guess what? You know what they didn't have? 185 episodes of a movie discussion podcast in the bank. Neil Armstrong did amazing things, but he didn't do that, Shaheer. That is... is is depressing.
1: Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> also, da- the fact that Damon Ch- Chazelle is 33 years old uh, makes this all the more fun for us oldies in the room.
0: Just yeah. enjoy life, Shahir. Stop. You don't have to. You don't
1: have to feel bad about your candle. Oh no, I don't feel bad. I just feel worthless.
0: <laughs> if that's, if that's uh, a difference. If, is that, that, that no, that's pretty bad. No, 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 that's no, no, like they're... an exacerbation of bad. No, no,
1: I don't feel bad. Like I'm happy lay- lounging around in my pajamas playing video games. Sure. I'm just saying I've realized the the some parts of my life are not very valuable to society as a whole. So that's
0: that's slightly different.
1: Um, like I'm happy. I'm happy doing what I'm okay,
0: doing. Okay, okay. I'm just you know. Worthless. <laughs> you are you are a complex, uh, intricate series of neuroses, my friend. That is true. <laughs> um, and uh, we have a
1: couple of emails this week that I wanted to touch on, uh, just to uh, cover off some topics. First one. Uh, will be about our review of, believe it or not, Popstar. What? And our other review of The Nice Guys. Uh, We have a new listener by the name of Simon. I won't say your last name. Uh, Relatively new listener. I've been going through your old reviews tonight. I listened to The Nice Guys and Popstar. Wow. When you talked about Nice Guys, I kept thinking of how you needed to talk about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. But you had little interest in that and might have eased you into The Nice Guys. As a huge fan of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I have to say that you need emphasis on the need To see this. Uh, It it didn't ease me into Nice Guys per se. I enjoyed Nice Guys, but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang makes Nice Guys feel like a weak sequel. Please watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's so good. Um, We are reinstituting our request policy soon. Probably look, I'll be honest with you, it'd probably be done by the by the by 2019 at this point. Because yes. uh, we still have one big batch of reviews that we need to finish off.
0: Cornetto um, Trilogy.
1: But once that's done, we will uh, re uh, restate the request policy in which case, Simon, you will be able to request us Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a movie I really want to see. Yes, uh, I same. just
0: haven't gotten around to Side it. Side note, it sounds like from that that uh, he didn't think that we no. enjoyed Nice Guys. Yeah. But I remember enjoying Nice Guys, but now I feel like I should go back and listen to the podcast because in my head, this is strange, I feel like I was positive about nice guys. There were some problems. You were, I
1: think you were more positive on that, it than I was. Okay, maybe he's yeah.
0: just yeah. Maybe he's just. I, I don't know. I need to go back and listen. Uh, but we, we've done a lot of these.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I feel like you kind of missed up on Popstar when talking about the song Finest Girl, calling it the fuck Bin Laden song when I don't think you really touched on how fun that song is being such an inappropriate love song. Uh, also, I do on the album I love playing the guy. I think Simon uh, is missing up on on our interpretation because I remember loving yeah Popstar that song. I really dug loving that song and um it also ended up on my t- Top ten of that year, so uh...
0: and I listened to that soundtrack quite a bit. I think, oh, maybe we got the name of the song wrong. Yeah, I think we definitely probably got apologies that... for that. Uh,
1: we will get names wrong all the time. Oh yeah, get...
0: <laughs> 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 buckle up, Timothy. No, yeah. thank you, Simon for writing in. Keep calling us out on our shit because. Well, I mean, as we illustrated by the beginning of this podcast and the the, the <laughs> very strange sadness that you hear brought on board, I was—it's not uh,
1: sadness. You gotta, you're misinterpreting it. It's okay, Not sadness. It's I'm sorry. Worthlessness. No, isn't that sad? No, it's not. It's a distinction. It a, there's a clear distinction between you can feel worthless but not feel sad. But you
0: can feel, you can feel worthless but happy. Yeah,
1: I think you know the good the best example of that is Shaggy in the Scooby Doo gang. He's worthless but he's happy. But he doesn't
0: feel <laughs> worthless. <laughs> he's fine.
1: He's just fine. I'm sure deep down there's a you know he's just.
0: I don't he, think so. I think he's from how Shaggy is presented. <laughs> he seems pretty a
1: okay. I'm wondering who's a who's a who's a worthless character like you know?
0: Zoing Scoob, <laughs>
1: uh, Rudewood Raggy. but who doesn't feel sad about their lives. <laughs> I'm thinking of Brad Pitt in um, True Romance for some reason. (laughs) Okay, that's that's the one I got. Anyway, uh, moving on. Zach, who has emailed us in before, uh, writes in about his review uh, about First Man, which he which will lead us directly into that review. Sweet. Just watched First Man. So good, the way it was shot, the acting, and just in general, a top movie. Whilst watching it. It felt at times that the final Apollo mission might not work, which is crazy, right? Of course they make it. Got me thinking about, from a filmmaker's point of view, how do you create suspense when everyone in the audience knows the outcome? Because that's why I don't like prequels. As an example, Solo. I know Han Solo lives, so I don't care about any of the action scenes. Look forward to your guys' replies, Zach. Um, this is going to be an interesting lead-up question into yeah. our podcast. Please, if you um, if you want to write us uh, more interesting questions like that, please, to Zach and Simon, or is it Stephen? I don't know. Write us in at, uh, 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 sorry, leave us a review on iTunes, please. That really does help out our cause. I believe Zach's already done that. But, Simon, you're letting the team down. Um, and uh, are <laughs> just then keep... ragging on
0: Simon. Oh, man. Simon, Simon was kind enough to write in and correct us on our bullshit.
1: Yeah. I don't care. Um, But uh, if you, and also leave us an email like Zach and Simon did at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter with your shorter messages at OnlyMoviePod.
0: We do the Twitter machine. Do we? I do. Okay. I rock that thing like a motherfucker. (laughs)
1: All right, but this is a really good question, actually, uh, which is that we all know how the Apollo missions ended up. We all know that Neil. Do Um, we,
0: Shaheer? Like, did we really, like, actually go to the moon, Shaheer? Not a review of Capricorn 13. Because, because, like, the technology back then. Okay, so, like, 2001 came out the same year. (laughs) That this that the moon landing happened. It actually came out the year before. Don't know. Don't <laughs> throw me your alternative facts here. No, so the alternative
1: the fact is that Stanley Kubrick the was the guy who faked the moon landing. The
0: part. angles, man. Mm-hmm. Like the light doesn't reflect or whatever. And yeah, ever, I said reflect. Reflect. Have
1: you ever seen the press interviews for Gravity? Alfonso Cuarón's gravity? Uh, I, I think back in the day. There was, there was a a person who legitimately, a journalist, mind you, a person who has received their press credentials and is gainfully employed by a magazine who gets up in front of him and says, so what was it like filming in space? Like, how did you, how did the crew react to going up to space and filming there? And like Alfonso Cuarón and the rest of the team kind of look around at each other and they go, wait. I mean, we're flattered, but, you know. They should have been like it was great. It was great. It was the best feeling ever. Um, it. how
0: do you let's I want to rewind a little bit because I was just making fun of uh, moon truthers. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you feel about that whole conspiracy theory? Uh, I've I got to be honest with
1: you, I've never given it more than half a second's thought. Have so. you
0: ever gotten into a discussion or I'll call it a a, a just a, a screaming match in my own mind when talking to someone who doesn't believe we landed on the moon?
1: I've never talked to someone who doesn't believe Holy me. shit.
0: Well, first of all, I bet you you have, and they just yeah, never it, brought it, it up. it probably never come up. Um, but thank God you have it yeah. because it's one of the most infuriating things. <laughs> uh, I don't get mad about what, what would be considered trivial in my own life, uh, yeah. things like that, very much, unless you start talking about movies. So it's movies and the moon landing. The two things <laughs> that if you're like, oh, that something's not, whatever. Um, it's terrifying and weird, and it makes me, it, it made me sad. For humanity, uh, well before the last two years, uh, it's weird. It's so strange.
1: There is a there is a great clip on YouTube <laughs> of a moon truther, as you as you call it, yep. uh, approaching Buzz Aldrin. And uh, asking him about you know why he faked the moon landing, and Buzz Aldrin proceeds to punch him in the face. Yes, I have seen that, and, it's and a, that's it's, how you do it. And that's how you do it. No, we're not advocating. We don't want to punch anyone in the face, but still, um, no, I've never, I've never spoken to a flat earther. I've never spoken to I've a never moon, spoken to a flat earther, uh, moon truther. Uh, I've never really given it much thought, but there is. The, the, I think there's a great episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they're talking about uh, religion and science and climate change or something like that. Oh God! Okay. And, and and one of the the true the climate climate science deniers asks the question: Have you read all the papers denying you know like advocating for climate change? And they're like, No. And They go, So how do you know it's true? Well, and then, you know, they answer like, well, I'm taking it on good faith. He goes, you mean like religion? And it kind of goes into this thing. I thought it was a nice ironic touch, but it is, I, I kind of fall more on the, hey, if 99% of the population believes this to be true and 99% of scientists uh, believe this to be yeah. true, uh, I'm going to go with the scientists yeah. on this one, especially on a topic that I, I will admit, not knowing a lot about. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot about um, uh, gravitational geography or gravita- interplanetary geography, but I do believe the earth is round. Sure, you know what I mean. So um, we've been on airplanes. Yeah, we've been on airplanes. Uh, I believe that you know I've lived in the southern hemisphere and moved to the northern hemisphere, so I'm kind of on board with that. I've never had to deal with that.
0: It's it's. Uh, thank. I'm glad.
1: I'm the second, the the main part of Zach's question actually it, and it uh, reminded me of one particular film, but I don't know if you've got a film in mind that you can think of with this uh, with this question in mind as well, which is. Um, from a filmmaker's point of view, how do you create suspense when everyone in the audience knows the outcome? Um, and obviously he references Solo there, which is a film you saw, I didn't see. Yes. Um, did you feel like the fact that you know Solo will obviously live and go on into, into later movies, did you feel that that impacted your experience of that movie?
0: Um, no, because that movie to me, I it was fine, uh, yeah. but I enjoyed it on a... On a a back end fixing a film that was in hell from the studio's point of view perspective with Ron Howard. Like, I watched that movie more as an education in uh, picking up pieces of a puzzle that someone ordered and said it should have looked like, you know, the Statue of Liberty and they had to turn into... um, uh, 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 a Han Solo movie.
1: <laughs> right, right. So but but you're referring to then the fact that Chris Lord and Phil Miller were fired off that movie, Ron Ron Howard came in and had to pick it up. But I guess the question here though is, with forgetting that, when you're watching the movie and you're watching action scenes where Han Solo might be in peril were you ever oh, going? No. No. I think they might not come out of this. No,
0: and uh, any character that had something bad happen to them or die, um, they butter up pretty heavily in that film. So right. it's like you know it's coming.
1: I think this is the the broader implication of this happens in superhero movies for me, where we know that there are sequels coming out, and we know that this is a franchise, and that they're no, And then and so I find I find for myself in those situations that I'm often derailed by the action sequence because I'm like, well, I know they're going to get out of this. So here's the deal. Infinity
0: War. Right. Um Infinity War is incredibly effective for me. I've watched it 3 times, 4 times at this point. No good. Um now. and every time I get the same feelings and, and pangs of hurt, pain and sadness when the end happens. Obviously A, I now know the ending. Yeah. B, but the first time I saw it when I saw Spider-Man aka I don't feel so good. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, disappear into dust. You sent me that meme earlier today, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um the I, I know that Spider-Man Far From Home is coming out. Right. Um, but and it's Black still, Panther. But and it's, still, it's still effective. And I think it has to do with... I mean, it's film craft. You can go into the sort of different things of what will sort of get you to feel a certain way. Yeah. Um, I will say, um, while I did enjoy First Man, I I never... Um, the, the The suspense factor for me... Uh, only happened in the missions I wasn't familiar with, all the missions leading up to it. Okay. Um, During the moon one, I never felt scared for them. Okay. Uh, I found it very interesting. And the thing that I was sort of in suspense about... Was the interpersonal stuff that happens a little bit on the moon as well? Now, that which is whether or not you, uh, I've been watching a lot of interviews with like Buzz, uh, with um, with Lance, uh, with Neil, well, I can't even speak Lance, Armstrong. Lance Armstrong's family. I'm thinking about
1: the wrong movie, I'm thinking
0: about three different movies, <laughs> um, with his family. And like, we'll get into what happens sort of on the moon, but like, that's not an actual fact, at least as far <laughs> as they know. Some things that happen on there, though, there is a period of I believe seven minutes when he was uh, walking towards a crater that is not on camera, mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was like like uh, and not on comms. So okay. there was a full 7 minutes where he was alone b- other than other than um Buzz Aldrin.
1: Okay. I, I think we're getting into specifics on on first night. I still I still want to address this question that Zach has about how did you how do you think a film like Infinity War creates suspense when you know what the ending is. Now, obviously, the, the Infinity War is slightly different because Sure, because it's not historically... It's not historical and the, first time you <laughs> w- and the first time you watched it, you had no idea what the ending was going to be. Right. So, the film that I thought of uh, in relation to this question was Brian Singer's movie Valkyrie, which is a, a Tom Cruise vehicle from, I think it was 2008 or something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that. Where um, it was about the mission to assassinate Adolf Hitler by one of whose lieutenants, and the film basically shows you the intricate plotting of this plan. And I remember the thing about that movie that was kind of amazing for me which i think is similar to what zach is talking about here is though i know hitler didn't die during world war ii but i still watch that going this is almost gonna happen sure and and i think the reason is is what what a filmmaker is the the best thing i can think of in terms from a filmmaker's perspective is that you need to be a bit of a magician and what i mean by being a magician is magic craft requires you requires the actor the art of distraction and that is basically focusing your attention on one thing while doing something on the back end. You know, that's generally what magicians do in order to, like, execute a magic trick. Sure. And so I think in the case of, you know, Valkyrie, for example, and in the case of Apollo, um, uh, First Man, is there is a sense of making sure we're not thinking too much about the eventual outcome, unless that's the purpose of the movie, and thinking about the actual immediacy of the details that need to go into executing the plan. And I think there's a sort of a process of... Um, I guess magical hypnosis that happens to any audience member, but there is a technical psychological term for it. I think I think it's this is probably wrong, but the the term suture in terms of psychology and psychoanalysis mm. comes into play. Um, but there's a process where you believe yourself to be part of the narrative and you transfer your emotional uh, your emotional state to that of the characters and you kind of psychologically transfer and i think once you if a movie is effective in doing that then you will become engrossed in the immediacy of the problem in front of you and not the long term you know like how did this actually end up like i know hitler didn't die but i'm still like in the movie i'm thinking about what it is for this character to have to like lay this explosive
0: is there with this sort of uh, psychological uh, phenomena, yeah. I'll call it. Um, is there specific triggers or things that that cause that to happen uh, in in a large you know uh, group of the population or, is it different? Different folks, different strokes. Like, it, like I, I'm curious about that because, for instance, I did not have, and I guess I kind of am just answering my question now. I did not have the feeling that I didn't know what was going to happen in the last mission. I was never in suspense in the last mission, at least for that. Right. I was in suspense about some character moments, um, but never the mission itself. So I can't relate to this in particular. I have had that feeling before, and I know Infinity War is not a good uh, now that we're sort of getting deeper into it. It's not a good analogy for this. I'm trying to think where I was actually scrolling through our old episodes because I feel like we've talked about this before and I just can't remember where. Um, The uh, Darkest Hour, I'm looking at that, for instance. That was something that while I know the outcome of but I feel like, again, no, it's no, more see, of a character's that, emotional journey, I think, to get to a place I know that it's going, so I don't think it's the that. The Post
1: is another example where we, know the, where we know the story, but it depends about how well you actually know the story. Yeah. There, in in film theory, there's a couple of different ways to tackle this question. There's, um, I think the most predominant way is how well the film crafts the experience of psychological transference, and a lot of that has to do uh, in early studies is on the point of view shot. So the famous one is the um, the Kuleshov effect, you know, like basically we you show a image of something and then cut to a reaction shot of a face which is just blank, then show another image and then cut to the reaction shot and the image changes we, we then psychologically transfer right. our opinion. So uh, if the f- if the, the face is just looking blank and he's looking at a baby then we uh, immediately the reaction from most audience members is empathy. If the face turns into, if the object turns into a train coming at you, we infer that the face now has fear on it. And I think that's the sort of psychological, but then there are all sorts of different studies that are much further than this that go into like, for example, the reason why, um... Uh, Certain races of cultures, you know, respond to certain movies in different ways than other races, um, because there's a certain. That's probably a
0: cultural and a historical. Yeah, yeah. There's a
1: way to kind of read film that is significant to your cultural historical perspective. So there's lots of ways to look at that. To me, I think it comes. You know, the broader answer to Zach's question, for me, and this is you know not a not a definitive answer, but I think it has to do with creating enough of an atmosphere where we transfer our experience to that of the characters and are then dealing through the problems that they're dealing with and we're not thinking about the end, which is what a magician does as well. You know, like not, not knowing that they're reaching behind their pocket to pull out the ending and just focusing on the thing that they're showing us in front
0: of us. And you know what's interesting about First Man is the sequence that we're talking about, going to the moon. Uh, I was so engrossed in the science of it and mm-hmm. the and honestly the look of it and how how real that moment felt mm-hmm. that I wasn't ever... Again, I wasn't ever feeling anxious. I was more just enjoying the ride. Even like it was, it's kind of strange that. But in this particular case of this film, like I'm trying to like go back into my mental state as I was watching it, and I didn't have any trepidation in that. You know, other than the first test that I didn't know the historical. um, I had moments in there. but i but not not the same as like oh i think he's going to die here like i know he's not going to die here but like bad stuff can happen and bad stuff does happen yeah um so
1: i, I- I actually, I, I think I'm I'm going dis- to disagree with you there in terms of my reaction, which is that I found those sequences very claustrophobic, and I was so fixated on the little details that I, I think I'm sort of with Zach on this. But
0: here's a question. This mm. is interesting. You, you mentioned claustrophobic, because there's a lot of claustrophobia shots in here, and they did that on purpose, and it gives you a certain feeling and a certain um, uh, reaction when you're mm. doing it. Is that reaction, though worry for the characters or your reaction to feeling like you're in a claustrophobic space do you know what i mean right. like it, 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 there's a difference i just don't know how to discern it like you're not right. worried can, you're can, not worried because you think he's going to die or the mission's going to go wrong but just the the situation that the character is immediately in
1: no so what i think has a psychological ha- no effect. what i think happens there is that the the psychological transference is slightly more complicated than me just thinking about myself versus me thinking about the character what happens for me and i think uh what might be a bitter exam- explanation of that okay. is that what happens is i transfer my my Fears into the character and therefore what I do is I am fearful because I believe I am the character. Isn't the character transferring their fears to you? No because because film is not a two-way street.
0: the film is just communicating but you're, but if you're I, experiencing I, I, it on that level, right it kind of is
1: no so what what I think what we're saying here is that there, you're wondering the question is whether you are fearful for the character? or you are fearful for yourself in that situation. And I would argue that unless you're like chronically uh, claustrophobic or something like that, where it's actually a physical discomfort to being in a movie theater, you don't necessarily become claustrophobic in a movie theater. What you do is you transfer your... Your fear into that character, and then experience their claustrophobia as a as an observer.
0: So, but one could argue, and I'm I'm not trying to be a contrarian. I'm yeah. trying to uh, just sort of see it from a different angle. Yeah, uh, you're and saying, this is,
1: and and I believe uh, the technical term for this is the suture effect, and that's okay. when you transfer your psycho- psychology. It has a lot to do with point of view shots into um, a character on screen. Yeah, uh,
0: but at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's uh, the 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 term transferring is what is sort of I'm hanging up on. Yeah, because you're not transferring anything to anything. It's still inside you, and it's still an outside stimuli that is affecting you. Right. Um. I don't know. (laughs) I I think I think you're talking there about uh,
1: elements of perception and like you know yes, obviously all elements of perception are internal to you
0: because it's impossible to experience. Perception throughout through another person, sure, right, and and especially it's impossible to experience perception from another inanimate thing. But our brain does a little bit of trickery. Our
1: our brain does that, and that's also why we have empathy as well. Is that why some people have empathy? Yeah, is is we can transfer our emotions to the characters on screens and feel for their for their response. Hey
0: everyone, go vote on November sixth. But. I, it's an interesting question, yeah. and I don't know if any answer we've given I even my own I'm hundred percent happy with. Mm. um maybe let's let's talk about the film a little more and maybe we can circle back to that at the end because i this is what I will say first off, straight up mm-hmm. um, is this movie while I enjoyed my time in the theater? And while looking at it, it was a technical marvel. And I think everyone sort of involved really like sold it for me. I loved even the the film type grain it was shot on. I loved the shaky camness of a lot of it. I loved the science behind it. I loved the supporting cast. Um it in in my preparation for this podcast, I was trying to be like, what's my big takeaway? Like what what is what was my feeling of this? And I was like, I enjoyed my time. Like it doesn't have a lasting psychological effect on me, other than getting me more interested in the actual story. Okay, uh, which is great for a film to do, and I think it's it's important. To, I mean, for me and everyone. I mean, hell, people that weren't. Uh, I mean, obviously, we weren't born then, but the the. <laughs> and if we were, we would have done even less. But like, now. think about it. Like, people who learn this stuff is like, oh yeah, <clears throat> you know, uh, he landed on the moon, uh, and or we moon, moon landing or whatever. And you're like, yeah, of course we did because we have computers the size of our pocket now. Like, it just makes sense now. And I think it's taken uh, not knowing the full story or not having it presented to you in an engaging way could kind of like in school or in if you're learning about this for the first time as a young person, it's like yeah, no shit. But it's like the the actual. The actual visceral feeling of it was really great to get me energized about the story again. But the film itself w- isn't something that I'm going to I think come back to. Right. Um and that's not I, I don't want that to come off as a slight. Um it's just it was sort of my reaction to it. Like I don't I I enjoyed my time, but I don't think I'd watch it again. Okay. Um maybe it maybe certain sequences in IMAX I would love to if that was an opportunity, but um, yeah, I don't know. We should we should talk about in detail why why you think that is. Um,
1: but I'll I'll just kind of you know uh, uh, give you my quick impression. Yes. Is that it is a movie that I greatly admired but didn't enjoy. Okay, um, which is that uh, to say I I did really it was a film that when I watched it I understood what it was going for I understood the sense that it was uh, it was attempting not to do something like Apollo 13 or the right stuff or anything like that where it was you know giving us getting us involved in the detail it was trying to focus in on the emotional journey of this man to the moon and in a way it kind of does that sort of kind of remarkable thing uh, I think mark Kermode uh, of uh, Kermode reviews kind of described it this way it's it's like jaws it's a it's a movie uh, uh, that's not really about the shark and it's not this movie's not really about the moon it's about this man's uh, man's emotional journey to another place. Um, and I, I kind of agree with that, and I, I, I see that that is what this film is trying to do. I really admire uh, Chazelle at this point, uh, branching away from being the music guy, you know, he's written uh, Grand Piano. He he wrote and directed Whiplash. Mm-hmm. He wrote and directed uh, 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 La La Land. La La Land. Uh, and so he could arguably be pigeonholed into being the music guy. And this is a kind of a step away from being the music guy. It is a movie ostensibly about. Is it science. one
0: small step away? Uh,
1: is it? But oh, the question here is: Is it a step for small step for a man or small step for man? That was the that was the big controversy around Neil Armstrong's. Ah. Phrase. Um, I will say this. though i deeply admired it it is kind of my least uh engaging of his films though i kind of think it is the broadest stroke of filmmaking that he has done to this point uh and for that i am yeah in deep admiration of what it is what it stands for what it is trying to do uh but i found it on the whole a little bit unresonant for me like as in a couple of things there is a uh, there's a couple of issues at play here that make it unresonant for me. Uh, uh, which is one that uh, I enjoy the idea of the exceptional man. Uh, I enjoy the idea of uh, the you know no, thinking of of people like Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin as people who are exceptional, who mm-hmm. who have the ability to kind of problem solve in extraordinary ways, and who demonstrate time and time again that they are you know, specifically selected because of their extraordinary ability, their tenacity, their intelligence, uh, and their ability to problem-solve. And I think this film kind of shies away from that on purpose um, to say that this is also a film about a deeply introverted man who uh, is an emotionally, uh, not stunted, but emotionally hindered man who who finds an outlet in his work. Now, I... I really admire that. I, I really admire that this is trying to do something different uh, to everything else we've seen about, you know, space exploration, or even how we would think of someone like Neil Armstrong. But I found that the emotional story that this film was trying to tell a little bit unresonant. Uh, I don't know if unresonant is the is the correct uh, usage of that sure. phrase, but but I didn't. The, the sort of final reveal of what he does in that sort of isolated moment on the moon uh, is a moment I kind of saw coming oh, yeah. from a long time Ooh, away. And yeah. I also I also didn't find it particularly emotionally compelling, though it might have been true. Um, the There's a couple of reasons I want to sort of point out about why I found that moment not emotionally compelling. Um, and it felt a little bit like the filmmaker's reaching for a meaning for this moment. And and one that I think they had to reach very far from. I think they did a good job with it and it does work for a lot of people,
0: but it didn't work for me. I'm going to have a hot take. Hot take. Okay. You ready for this? This movie suffers the same problem just in a much different way as Bad Times at the El Royale. And that problem <clears throat> is a mm. connectivity issue. No, I don't
1: think that's a, I don't think that's the case.
0: Uh between mm. uh basically mm. it's what what it's what the movie itself is telling you is important. Yeah, and what uh, the movie actually shows us as important.
1: No, I, 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 and I think I know what you're saying. There is the bad times in El Royale has an ending which sort of points to something entirely different to what the film has been about the entire time. I think First Man is very clear about what it's ab- what it's about the entire time. This movie is about an emotionally introverted man who finds a way to release himself through work, and that's where the end of the movie is. I just don't think that that story for me was particularly emotionally resonant.
0: I think what I mean is this movie is telling you. Well, it, you know, let, let me. I'll I'll back up slightly. That's what it felt like for me because this movie is 100% telling you what it thinks is important and that is the interpersonal life of how this man dealt with his family to get his work done to go to the moon. Mm-hmm. That's not why I went to it and it didn't convince me that that was the important thing when I was there. Uh I went into it because I was curious about the you know some some history seeing sort of the the pieces of this story that I'd never seen it, you know in detail as close as as close as this movie gets yeah. and w- and witnessing to the best of my visual acumen and what is available currently, having the closest experience to experience what that man must have felt when he went to the moon.
1: Um, I think, but <clears> isn't that a case of your expectation versus what's the... Because I don't think the film ever... Oh, sure. hundred percent. Again, that's why I backed
0: up. Yeah. That's why I backed up and said, this is why I'm feeling this way. Yeah. Um. But I, but I think what the other sort of side of my point is, the... The two stories, the interpersonal story and the story of him going to the moon, don't really connect. It could have been anything. It could have been two different things and two different whatevers, and you'd have the exact same effect. That's the the Jaws analogy, which is that it's a movie about,
1: you know, it's not really about the
0: shark. Right, You know what I but mean? it's not really about either of... Well, it's about one thing, I guess. It's just that... Th- And you know what? Maybe this is why everything no, because it's also historical. I was gonna say maybe this is why things didn't resonate. Like you know, you ever felt danger or things like that. But um, I so so let's let's talk about Ryan Gosling real quick. Um, this is by far my favorite of his uh, stoic, not speaking, staring off to the side of camera performances. And I'm I'm saying that like as a joke, but it's also kind of true. Like I think he's very effective. I think he's doing what he's supposed to be doing with this character. Yeah, but I think that that character in particular that he's been tasked to play and do very well yeah. is not something that is easy to engage with in that in the st- s- suture suture, the, the, the,
1: the, suture the,
0: the suture effect it's not the easiest <laughs> character to suture your your uh, your empathy or your emotional state onto now it's probably incredibly sort of accurate as to who uh Lance Armstrong was as a Neil person Armstrong? Wow, I can't get <laughs> names right today. Neil Armstrong. Lance,
1: Jesus Christ. Yeah. one took steroids, one went to the moon.
0: Uh, which one? Which one? <laughs> uh, Neil Armstrong. It's probably exactly how he was and yeah. how people saw him and experienced him. But as a viewer, I'm more like, A, not connected because I'm kind of frustrated with, with how that is. And again, that's me trying to get into someone else's shoes and I understand that's impossible. But um, it's it's strange that like, I was so I was so on like if I had to pick like emotional sides I was on his wife's emotional side the mm-hmm. entire time. Yeah. Um
1: but it's a, the the reason I had a giant grin as you said this is my favorite Ryan Gosling performance is that because I know you and I have well his staring, his, yeah, his his silent his, staring performance his, his silent staring performance his, his silent staring performance is that you and I have clashed before on on whether we think Gosling is an effective actor I think particularly if we look at the movie, film Drive but in my notes I have here this is my least favorite of Gosling's silenced uh, silent oh, stoic performances wow. <laughs> which yes. is uh, uh, this to me. I think he is the right choice. Oh, 100%. He's the exact right choice to, to do this, to do what, what this, they asked for. What they asked for in this particular film, <laughs> yes. but it's like but it's but it's one where I uh, I think to me the problem here comes down to uh, for example in a film like Drive, I really like Drive because I'm not sure about that guy and I'm I'm constantly looking into the the piercing blue eyes of Ryan Gosling and trying to figure it out. <laughs> Whereas in this film I kind of... The the writing is telling me what to feel about this character and sure. the actor is delivering that performance. So I'm not actually... That invested in what
0: his journey is. You're right. The writing and drive does not inform us about anything.
1: Well, to me, the writing <laughs> and drive informs me about like. No, gives I'm, me I'm clues. agreeing. Yeah, gives me clues about like this person might be a sociopath, <laughs> or I'm not too sure. Oh, uh, um, this movie was written. Uh, First Man was written by Josh Singer, who also wrote Spotlight and um, and was a co-writer on The Post. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is kind of his. Uh, I guess you could argue his second film of reinterpreting a major event from an alternate point of view. The previous one being. The Post, uh, which was also written by uh, Liz Hanna, mm-hmm. uh, uh, about The Washington Post's uh, attempt to uh, publish the Pentagon Papers. Mm-hmm. But, from the, but the thing about that movie was that, uh, and we noted this in our review of The Post as well, is that we were kind of perplexed as to how The Washington Post kind of... Ignored, or that movie ignored the the contribution of the New York Times, and then focused instead on uh, Catherine Catherine Graham, the uh, the owner of the Post, as her decision to to allow the publishing of that paper. Which which we, it's an interesting take, but not one that kind of entirely resonated. Didn't it? Certainly didn't resonate with me. It did with me. and I think this is a similar sort of take, which is that you know we have got a movie like Apollo 13 already out there. We've got movie uh, movies like the sh- the documentary, The Shadow of the Moon. Um, these movies do go into detail about these people, and so what the what both Singer and Chazelle want to do here is focus on in, focus us in on the emotional state of this of this character. The thing that uh, I found difficult about this uh, from just from a storytelling point of view. It was one. I like you. I was on Claire Foy's side. Karen. Uh, yeah. W- no, Janet, his wife. Janet. Um. I was entirely kind of with her, but it's a, It's a really. It's a thankless role, you know that that film role that we've seen in in movies yeah. a dozen times before. It's the it's the wife at home, kind of keeping it together while the husband is off, you know, basically trying to explore the explore the planet or explore the outer the outer rims of the go planet. to the moon exactly. So uh, it's a thankless role, and I think she does a terrific job, and I think she does an amazing job um, to like give that character some life to not be kind of uh, to be supportive but not to be pulling him back from going to the movie. Well, think not it's,
0: being a pushover, too.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's a really delicate thing that she does there um, to make sure that that role isn't just a thankless role. Unfortunately, the thing that I, I sort of come, that, that makes the film feel difficult to me is that, you know, the thing we've been tiptoeing around this entire thing and, uh, you know, this, this this discussion so far, and it's a spoiler at this point now, we're into spoilers, is that uh, we realize that the the entire, the film's suggestion is that the entire impetus for him going to the moon and the and his sorrow and his introvertedness is the death of his daughter, Karen, at the age of two, um, whom he, you know, takes to the moon and, and throws, a, you know, her bangle into the moon. I was kind of watching it, going, "This suffers from that Christopher Nolan problem." And Christopher Nolan might have had a hand in this film. I know him and, and David and Chazelle have been hanging out. Um, in that, I was like, "You got two other kids sitting around here, and you seem to be like
0: ignoring them as well." Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, let's let's stop for a second. One, uh, the loss of a uh, of a child would affect you people and i mean you i mean everyone like of course that's something course, that is, is psychologically something that i cannot personally imagine and i'm sure would have problems with stunting uh your emotional state towards other children towards your family towards other people in general so that's not something that i don't believe okay. but the main thing uh is when i was watching this and this is why i feel like it's disconnected I never felt like the death of his daughter was any sort of driving force for him to go to the moon. He was just an engineer who was obsessed with work. Right. And was, yeah, you know what? Probably was using work as a crutch to not think about things and he, told, and he, he says that at the beginning. Exactly. Of the movie, yeah. Um, but it never felt to me that he was doing it for some uh higher emotional reason tethered to his daughter it was work is a distraction I have an amazing job that takes a lot of my time and that was all I had so now listen then when I got to when in the beginning when we see the the bracelet the bangle bracelet that um you said when he puts it in a drawer I'm like well he's bringing that to the moon yeah of course he is. uh and then he brings it to the moon and he does the thing and like yeah. whatever and that's supposed to be a moment of catharsis or 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 something or closure or I emotional don't, release but yeah. but it but it it wasn't – it like, the movie never showed me enough of the connective tissue. And again, this is why I go back to a little bit of the El Royale problem. I know it's different, but this is it, – it invoked the same feelings of, like, I see your two narratives – I don't see them connecting well. <laughs>
1: see, I, I, I think the film actually does a really good job in that. Like for, and there's a scene where um where Gosling is walking along with uh Id White, who's the other pilot who died in the Apollo one mission. Yes. And Id has kind of um uh has been talking to Janet, his wife, and says, you know, like and Janet asks him, Does he ever talk to you about Karen? Uh, does he ever mention it? And he says no, he never does. And there's a scene later on in the movie where they're walking down a street, uh, down you know one one of their streets, and he and and Gosling uh, Neil Armstrong kind of remarks that the, a neighbor has installed a um, a swing set, yes. that that the kind that Karen has, and Jason kind of you know, and Ed White kind of looks at him and says and realizes this is the closest he's ever opened up about Karen to him. And he's kind of like he wants to probe him, wants to push him a little bit on this, but he doesn't want to like gently nudge. And he realizes also this is the probably the the one of the few times that he's seen Neil Armstrong kind of
0: as a human being. Yeah,
1: also concerned about something other than just problem solving, you know, like he he seems to have something else on his mind. Um but and, it- and, and 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 so that coupled with the scenes of um, Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, giving a, press conf- bringing, giving a press conference and being asked, what are you gonna take to the moon? And, you know, and Buzz Aldrin says, I'm gonna take some jewelry, you know, who, wants to, who doesn't wanna do this? And Neil Armstrong completely dismisses the question and says, I would rather take more fuel. And, but we realized that the thing, he, he has an answer to this question, he just doesn't want anyone to know about it. And I, I knew that's what he was thinking. I, I saw like four or five instances of that bracelet coming back. We see flashes of the daughter the entire time. Right. And then, all of that, and, yeah. and then, and then we get to the end. I think that's a complete straight line of what this film is tr- but, trying to do.
0: But there's something, and again, all of those scenes are there. Yeah, there's no question. But it never linked to me it, that moment when he's talking in the to his friend to Ed White, Ed White in, yeah. in the uh, on, on the street is a, is an emotionally powerful movie that to me the movie never connected in a way that made it have anything to do with the moon. It's still about or going to the moon. It's still about a man healing. That moment is about yeah. a man healing from the death of his daughter or trying to, or or going down the path of whatever and go, and almost taking a turning point to doing so.
1: And the end of the movie is the same thing. It's about a man healing from the loss of his daughter. But That's what I'm not saying really is about it,
0: the moon. But thematically, they're not t- like the movie doesn't tie them together. It has these two things going on that it does yeah. well. It doesn't tie them. And if you're and if you're going to take that road and you're going to sort of like it, it, here's what it does. It infers it; it does not confirm it for me. And 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 so, like, I'm watching the movie do it, and I'm seeing what like the 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 pins it's setting up to knock down. But I don't see the method of which it's going to be all connected, and because I don't think it's ever there. Again, I'm sorry; I don't want to crap on this movie. Right? I think it's good. I would love to see it or pieces of it in IMAX. Um, while I was in the theater, I was engaged, right? But I also remember not feeling particularly emotionally resonant, other than a human being witnessing one of the most ama- an amalgamation of one of the most amazing things that mankind has ever accomplished.
1: I I I agree with that point. Was that I didn't find the film particularly resonant. Yeah. I, I I but I admired that it was trying to do something different from what we would expect of this story, and I admired that it was trying to do. An emotional, you know, like it wasn't getting too much into the weeds about how the, you know, how do you actually get a man to the moon?
0: I feel like though, and maybe it's just the movies I've been watching lately, it kind of did exactly what I expected it to do in a way. Like it's, it's compared it's, to t- Apollo thirteen, say sure, but that's years ago, and right. I'm talking about in the cultural compared zeitgeist, Stella for example. Well, Interstellar's kind of similar. Interstellar
1: does a similar thing, but it also has a lot of science and technology behind it, whereas I didn't but find But
0: Interstellar also has an ending that punches itself in the throat. <laughs> uh the the my point is I like the the direction this movie went with these two stories even though I don't think they came together entirely well uh throughout. Yeah. Um I didn't not see it coming. Yeah, uh, it it makes total sense, especially in the climate of filmmaking today. It just it like it's hundred percent different than Apollo thirteen. Yeah, but Apollo thirteen was what to, to 1996, 97?
1: I, I think the reason why I say it's different is that you know the thing I said before is that I like the exceptional man story. Yeah, and I think what this is trying to do is say no, this is an exceptional. This is a human being.
0: First, before he's an exceptional man.
1: And and this is the story of this human being.
0: But almost in a way, Ryan Gosling's performance is so good at the robotic engineer (laughs) that I never get the catharsis outside of that one particular moment you're talking about where it almost happens Yeah, that I get the connection. And yeah, he sees, he randomly sees visions of his daughter around, etc. throughout the film. But his face... Doesn't or his emotional state yeah. doesn't really change a lot, or if it is, it's so minute. And again, yeah. skill to, to Ryan Gosling because yeah. maybe he played it real small. Yeah, and maybe people that played are more real close to the chase, maybe yeah. people that are more um, uh, visually empathetic mm-hmm. than I, maybe picked up on some of that stuff. Um, I, and, and I, again, playing true to the character. Yeah, but I
1: think uh, yeah, that's the other thing that's tricky about this is that, and you know, you you watch some interviews with the uh, with Neil Armstrong as well. Is I think you know, like by all accounts, he was a fairly introverted, yeah, quiet. He was an engineer. He wanted to do his work. Yeah, just did the work kind of guy. So you know, I I I like that the film did that. I admire it for doing that. I didn't particularly find it completely compellingly resonant, right? um, At all. So I think we're kind of coming to the same conclusion for different reasons here. Yes, but coming to the same conclusions nonetheless. Agreed. I want to talk about a couple of uh, a couple other things in this movie that I thought were really exceptional.
0: Fine. Okay. I don't know. I I feel like we've been agreeing too much lately. So I'm going to get indignant.
1: Okay. All right. Get indignant, Dignan. Um, The score. I loved the score. Yeah, I Justin, like the score too. Uh, Damn H- it, Justin Hurwitz, uh, his third collaboration with uh, <laughs> it was so good. It was, uh, with with Damien Chazelle. It's so good because it 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 invokes. I think the one thing uh, in terms of the actual technical side of this film that this film really does dig into is the terror of going up into space. It feels like a horror movie in places. I like you know the film. The camera focuses in on the rivets shaking a around. lot of rivet yeah, shots. Yeah, shaking around and like all I can think of is like the the thing that is like basically protecting you from open space is this like 2 cent piece of metal
0: there's a there's a line from the trailer which you wouldn't know cuz you don't watch the trailers but it's the Swiss army knife right. uh, line the, where he's like anyone got a Swiss army knife they're bolting thinking into the thing and they're like are you kidding me
1: <laughs> i i mean i saw that
0: in the movie yeah yeah but uh, that, that was a fun moment in yeah. the trailer
1: so i i love that the um that the score kind of amped up the terror but also Little found a little space to kind of do um, the almost Kubrickian dance of space. There's a moment when they're docking with the uh, the Al- Al-J, I think it was called Gemini. The, the Gemini no, was docking. Well, they were the gem- Gemini. Yeah, they, were docking with the he, the uh, other crowd. Algeny. I, Al-G- yeah, I, yeah, whatever it was. That's how much we know about space. Yep. But you know, like there is a sort of like magical, you know, D- Tchaikovsky and dance yep. that's going on there. That's really beautiful. That kind of reminds you, oh yeah, they're in space. You know, and space is beautiful if you look at it from the right angle.
0: If uh, you look at it from the safety of not being in space.
1: Exactly. If you look at it from the outside. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of loved. I, I love the score. I love the the cinematography by Linus uh, Linus Sandberg. Mm-hmm. Um, again, his second collaboration with Damien Chazelle. Um, the thing that you would have missed out on is. Is this tricky thing that happens in the theater when you when you go to see it in IMAX? So when I go to see it in, in IMAX, I'm like, where are the IMAX scenes? The whole movie is litterboxed, um, the, all the way through, and then at the end of the movie, at the very very end of the Doom. movie, like when he and it's not even it's not even before they land on. It's no, it's when, probably
0: when he goes go right outside.
1: It's when the it's when the pod bay doors open. Yeah, that makes and, total and, sense. And the camera like swoops down, and the camera does this amazing like trick of keyframes where it like it's shaky shaky down the stairs and then it like flattens out into a perfectly smooth Shot and then the screen and the screen is filled, yep. Uh, and we're in IMAX, and I thought that was just this wonderful pointed view setup. That's great because I because the one thing I've really had a distaste for in the sort of mixed IMAX 35mm films, you know, like Christopher Nolan does, like uh, Crystal McQuarrie does, uh, for Mission Impossible is that they sort of intercut between IMAX and 35mm depending on which scene they're in, yeah. So in Interstellar, you would be in like the black hole scene and it's like this gorgeous IMAX, and then you'd cut back to the ship and you'd be in 35mm and then cut back outside, and you're like. Like it's just changing depending on the shot. And right. I find that I find that really haphazard and Agreed. it like, takes me out of the movie. God, why are we agreeing? Uh, but this was such a like a pronounced pointed moment. It was like weird, this is the reason IMAX exists.
0: I love things like aspect ratio changes or even 3D yeah. when it is used for a narrative. Purpose. Yeah, and it and it completely is. Yeah. Again, the the 3D equivalent of this is is obviously not as uh you know as inspiring of a moment in a movie. But Tron Legacy, when, right, they, when go they go into, into the Tron, then yeah. it's 3D. When they're in the real world, it's not. That's a thematic way to use 3D to tell a story and make you feel differently about a narrative. This sounds amazing that it transitions in that yeah. way.
1: And because and the reason is as well as you is like I you know I, I you
0: got so used to it.
1: Yeah, and I also like paid the the premium That's to go see funny. it in IMAX. Were I was, you like, pissed until then? I, yeah, and I was like. Oh, Oh wait, what? Are, when are we doing the IMAX thing? That's when are we... funny. And then it like it, it happens, and you're like, oh, oh, good, 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 way to go, Damien. Good are... on you, Damien. Yeah, well done, sir. Well done to you. It That's is the funny. reason why you won Best Director. Um, and you know, so I I love that kind of pointed use of it. I think I, I also love the the kind of. The absolute terror of space travel. You know, the sense that this film gets across is how close death is around the corner for every one of these characters. It's not a, yeah. it's not an abstract thing. You know, you will die, and there will. I, I love. There was a scene with uh, uh, Janet. You know, um, with Id's Ed, wife. You know, and she's standing by the car, and the car door is open. Yeah, and we're like, "What is in that? What is in that trunk?" And we realize that this is just a person who's been. Uh, who's almost rendered catatonic because of the loss of their husband yeah and it kind of gives you the weight of this is what the you know the the journey means is death for most of these people and you kind of i think you get i mean the right stuff did this as well um and i think apollo 13 to an extent did this but it is it is an example of how you you never really think that nasa is just pulling it together by the seat of its pants. But it literally is pulling it together by the seat of its pants. Now, it's got, you know, incredible engineers, incredible mathematicians, people all working together to, like, make this happen. But it's not like a ride at Disneyland, you know, like where the ride has been tried, tested, true before you get on it. So the yeah. experience of fear is entirely simulated. You know, the experience of fear here is entirely real because it's warranted in this case. And we don't know what the vacuum of space will do to you. And there's only a thin layer protected. I remember, I think one of my favorite, I think it was Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin's quote who said something along the lines of, the, the thing that terrifies me the most is that the 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 contract to build the spacecraft went to the lowest bidder. Yeah, you know. Um, so I was I, I just love that. I don't think that's really you know um, really shown that much in here. And then coming back to the, finally that 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 sense of the defiance of heroism and the and even exceptionalism, um, which I think is a really interesting unique idea. There was another film that the we def- defiance of it. Yeah, like never really like. Embracing the jingoism of this char- American character going to the moon and being a hero, and like, you know, like the way we think about Neil Armstrong. You know, I think of him as, you know, like he's one of the great explorers of our time, kind of thing. And I right. think the film kind of defies that expectation by making it about his human story and this human difficulty of like getting over the death of his daughter. And I, I like that.
0: I guess I didn't really think about it. I,
1: I think, the, you know, like even to the point, Ted Cruz. Uh, was it Ted Cruz or people were? Was tweeting... it
0: something bad? Yeah. Then it was probably t- Ted Cruz. No, it wasn't. It
1: was actually it was actually Marco Rubio. But at also. the first at, at the first screenings of this movie, I believe at Cannes, people started tweeting about how there was no heroic American flag on the moon. What? And then poli- yes, there was. And then politicians started tweeting about how dare they do this? America, you know, like NASA was a uh, what? It, yeah, you should read up. I, I think hey, I'm gonna.
0: Pull this it is up. fucking. No- There's yeah. like five shots of American flags, a couple of which in slow mo. Uh, well, uh,
1: here we go. Marco Rubio slams the U. U.S. Flag and first man, and uses Twitter. Uh, uses Twitter. He says, uh,
0: "I love how all these fucking rep- uh, these politicians literally like since Trump has been doing it, they all try to do it and they all just fucking fail."
1: Uh, Marco Rubio uh, tweeted in in response to I think. Uh, Ryan Gosling said something at the press conference said they, uh, decided, they decided not to include the flag planting because of Armstrong's accomplishment transcended countries and borders. As that's what Gosling said. And Marco Rubio tweeted this is total lunacy and it deserves at a time when our people need reminders that we can achieve when we work together. The American people paid for that mission on rockets built by Americans with American technology and carrying an American astronaut. It wasn't a UN mission,
0: says Marco Rubio. So it... Yeah, the film heaven the f- forbid we inspire people, you yes. fucking Rube. I love his name is Rubio. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so fucking perfect.
1: People jumped onto this this idea that there wasn't enough American flags in the film. Someone even did uh uh, a recut, uh, a Star Is Born trailer, uh, in response to Marco Rubio's complaint, and put you know like the song uh, where where he's singing in front of the crowd. Yeah, they planted all these American flags inside the crowd to say the Marco Rubio cut, uh,
0: which oh I my love. God.
1: But but you know what I'm saying? The film doesn't you know like say America rah rah
0: rah. It's it's about this guy. Yeah, and, and it's about hum- It's about this guy, and if you go bigger, it's about humanity.
1: Yeah, and but it doesn't even make him out to be. A hero. You know, he's just a guy. And I and I kind of like that about it. Sure.
0: Um, uh, sorry, I want to go back to the flag thing. There is a definite shot of the American flag on the moon in front of the lander. Probably. I can't I can't recall. I I I was thinking about you don't see it planted, yeah, but you see it. Already having been planted, like,
1: and maybe this is a good case study for examples of people who ha- having false outrage at things that they haven't seen, which is Mother what, <laughs> which is what uh, people have. What a dipshit! Oh well, he's a dipshit in more ways than one. But uh, go vote November sixth. Um, at any rate, so I love that sort of, that defiance of heroism, the defiance of exceptionalism. There was another movie at the start of this year, or, or middle of the year we did, which was called You Were Never Really Here. You didn't, uh, you weren't here for that one. <laughs> uh, you Were Never Really Here. Meta! Um, but but that was a film that kind of did the same thing. Um, and I think, to, in my mind, a little bit more successfully... Um, Than this because again I didn't find this particularly resonant, um, but again I, I like that this is a sort of a you know like we're going hey we're doing this big story you know the thing that amazed me was the idea like they were like oh we're doing the film about Neil Armstrong uh, going on the moon I was like haven't we done that movie before isn't that isn't there a bunch of movies about Neil Armstrong going to the moon I realized there wasn't and then yeah. I real and then I also realized it was like oh we're not gonna do Apollo thirteen again we're not gonna do um, Shadow of the Moon we're gonna do something different with this. Mm-hmm. I like that I kind of I kind of I kind of dug that and i I appreciated and admired that. That's it. still didn't resonate for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think uh it's a film that I liked watching. and I know I'm reiterating this, but like I feel like I've been overly negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people should see it. I, you know what, and I don't just think Americans should see it. like mm-hmm. it's I'm sorry. It's a transcendent moment for humanity. And if you can't get behind that, I, 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 I don't know how to interact with you as a human being. Like, the Russians th- might think differently of that. <laughs> Look, it, but if the Russians had made
1: it. like, Do you, do you think Americans would be as proud of the Russians, Russian, uh, Russian explorers? Like, do we know the name of the people who made the first Russian orbit?
0: No but the 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 fact that but that might be the failing of a school system That yeah. might be a failing of my own personal uh, exploration into the knowledge behind this what i'm saying is if you if you uh, we would all be better off if <laughs> we could take accomplishments like that i mean fuck we take credit for all sorts of shit that we didn't do so like it's just like wh- this is an ama- like a human shouldn't be there <laughs> and we put them there Anyway, I'm I'm sorry. I'm a little bit rage fueled right now, and I haven't even been drinking yet.
1: <laughs> okay, well, g- you should uh, you should get on. That. I'll get started. <laughs> I mean,
0: hell, Friday night, baby, woo! Go see First Man, and I I this is something that I'm I, I'll end sort of my final thoughts with. I would like more people, um, writing in like our listeners before. Uh, with their experiences to see if, like, maybe I, I feel like, again, she here, you and I again sort of agree, but for different reasons. Yeah. But we're still feeling not connected to it. I want to hear about people that were really hardcore connected to it because I, I, I. I will never think I I will never say that this movie doesn't have that ability. I actually believe it, Ken. I just don't I didn't experience it. So I want to hear more from people that have. So again, I think it is an incredibly visually stunning film. I think that the score is fucking great. I think all of the performers did an excellent job. I think Damien did a fantastic job directing. I think the cinematography was marvelous. And it and it always confuses me when all of that stuff is so great. And it still doesn't pang me in the feels. Well, there's one. Well, there's one thing you didn't mention in that in that laundry list. What was, that it? was The screenplay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that might be the thing. Maybe that's the thing. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel I don't want to malign it. Yeah. Uh, but I can't win good faith say like this is amazing.
1: Yeah. I look. I, I know this is working for a lot of people, fellow critics, people you know who 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 listen to our podcast. This is you know as Zach. Yeah. Said you know this is a film that really really works for them. Uh, it didn't quite work for me though. I did really deeply admire the, this film and what it was trying to do. Um, I would wholeheartedly recommend seeing it in uh, in IMAX. I feel like it might sort of. Uh, It might kind of get the the sort of Dunkirk equation kind of put on it in terms of its longevity. Dunkirk uh, ended up being a real dad film, you know, like dads taking their kids to like see a war movie, an IMAX kind of movie. And I think this might maybe do that, you know, like uh, in 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 terms of like a long longevity box office. Although it hasn't done as well as it could have. Who knows? Uh, I I am not entirely on board with this film. Though again, deeply admire it. Uh, would see, would see it again. <laughs> I would, I would, uh, I would wholeheartedly see it again. I would definitely give it another shot to see if you know maybe the second time around it was more emotionally resonant. Uh, but I think the key factor in the thing that you didn't mention there was the script. Um, just like in the post. I think this is a film that doesn't quite uh, resonate. Uh, Although, another script that Josh Singer wrote was Spotlight, which is one that deeply emotionally resonated with me, and that was focused entirely on details and not on character. Entirely on details.
0: I think we all remember how I felt about Spotlight, so that kind of lines up with my current analogy. (laughs) Yeah, so there you go. Um, Hey, by the way... (laughs) I just want to say, straight up, because we forgot this once, and go back and listen and see if you can figure out which out of our 185 episodes we forgot to do this in. Here's the uh, IMDb for the film, because we didn't do it up top. A look at the life of astronaut Neil Armstrong and the legendary space mission that led him to become the first man to walk on the moon on July 20th, 1969.
1: So... Yeah, that's... uh, that's It's
0: accurate, but it's not... It's like half the movie.
1: Well, it's also the the legendary... uh, You know, like, there's something about what this film is trying to do that doesn't quite line up with, like... With that description? With making him feel legendary.
0: It's really about a human being kind of with ordinary problems and about the accomplishment itself outside of the human being. Yeah. So I think I will say I agree with the legendary space mission. That's not talking about saying he's legendary. No, that's yeah. saying the space mission is legendary.
1: But he the film is not and I'm saying, you know, like he by all accounts is a legendary human being.
0: Uh I just don't think that's what this
1: film is trying to say.
0: Right, but I'm saying that this description <laughs> says that the mission was legend, wait for it. <laughs> Dairy glass of milk. I'm saying that he's not saying that he is legendary. It's saying the mission was legendary. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, <laughs> hey everyone, this has been the only podcast, the legendary about the- podcast, the only podcast about movies. Wait for it, dairy. First man, <laughs> did we? did Did that work for everybody? Did that cacophony of errors <laughs> do it for you? Listen, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey, Shaheer. hey, hey. Uh, well, if we're gonna be talking about Lance Armstrong in this episode, ah, know, you know, let's let's
1: just let's know, call a spade a spade. Yeah,
0: Shaheer, when you are not correcting me nine times about the first man who <laughs> walked on the moon's name, because I'm just a rage fucking monster these days, <laughs>
1: where can folks find you? You can find me on my website, not flying to the moon. Uh, probably just lounging around playing. Spider-Man right now Uh, www.shahirdowd.com That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D Matt, when you are uh, confounding the yellow jacket for the space jacket where can people find you?
0: Wow! Uh, I was trying to deconstruct that in my brain. I still don't quite know what you mean, but if you want to look at me in any type of suits, you can find me at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L dot for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, there before P-R-E-Z on Instagram, or Emperor M S K on Twitter. Also, you can find me uh, working with the Extra Credits crew, doing cool stuff. And this week, I would like to also plug our sister podcast. Oh, yeah? Speaking of Carrie, because we had a lovely uh, episode we recorded yesterday. Uh, I believe it dropped, by the time this is on Monday, it'll be the one that they released Friday. Uh, check it out. It's uh Listen, I, am, uh, I have become a Sex and the City sort of convert. I feel like I unjustly uh, judged that show throughout my youth, and I am now watching it. And despite it having many uh, timely problems, it is still one of the greatest, um, I think, narratives about friendship that we actually have. Hmm. So uh, I will plug that. Listen to them. They're hilarious. They're funny. They're insightful. they They run, Melissa and Elise, the hosts, run the tour. Uh, the Sex and the City bus tour in Manhattan in I New York City, say the tour de France, but... and, the t- <laughs> and the tour de France. There's lots of angles, so check that out. Speaking of Carrie, they're lovely and they do a great show. And with that, we will leave you for this week, dear listeners. But next week, tune in for another film that we, we haven't picked <laughs> we yet.
1: We haven't decided. We're
0: going to get better. We're going to implement a better request system. <laughs> we're going to implement a way to let you know what we're seeing so you can prep for it to the best of our ability. Sometimes we mess up with that regard yeah. and we have to see different things. But um, I was actually sure. I just want to talk about this real quick before we go. We 185 episodes. Yeah. D- haven't
1: missed a week. We uh, in the in the beginning season we didn't do like every week, but it's okay. I think it's minus two, ten for safety. I think it's been two years of like every week, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: think about that,
1: people. When oh. you're writing your iTunes reviews for your <laughs> keyboard, <laughs> you,
0: you fucking no, 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 no. I just want to say, I I think <laughs> I, you know, I think um. <laughs> I, we're look, talking look, about no, no, hold look, on. We're talking look about how entitled we sound. Yeah, we we've given you an episode every week. No, therefore, hey, hey, I'm tying this back to your beginning thing of feeling worthless. <laughs> um, th- I was making a joke about Neil Armstrong didn't do this thing, and what we're doing <laughs> isn't by no way sort of extraordinary in the uh, difficulty of what we are doing. Wait, let me just so I
1: can get this straight. You're saying going to the moon yep. and making a, po- a weekly podcast for t- over are, two years
0: is not the same thing. Uh, no, they are not the same thing. Okay, gotcha. But gotcha. <laughs> but if all of our experiences can only be judged on our own internal emotional scale, we have done something that a a shit ton of people have not done. And I personally, (laughs) while I cannot be proud of doing something as large as Going to the Moon, am proud of this podcast and proud of the work that we've done and proud of the conversations we've had with all these people about film. And I think that it actually is in its own stupid, tiny, (laughs) minuscule way kind of important and impressive. So uh, you're not worthless. We're not worthless. And uh, you, I'm going to go out on that. You know what I'll go out with? Is what?
1: Uh, Stewie from Family Guy going, you're doing good. Goddamn right, Stewie. We'll see you next week. Bye.